I just want to take just one second to recognize my friend, Dr. Tim Sigler. Tim, would you just stand? It's hard to, thank you. Um, Tim is the, as this last year, is the new provost, is that right, of our seminary. He's out this week to teach. He has been such an amazing addition to our seminary. We are so blessed. Um, Tim is Jewish, and he's a Christian, and he speaks fluent Hebrew. His whole family speaks Hebrew, and uh, they spend a lot of time every year over in Israel. And so he just brings a whole new thing to our seminary students. You're going to really enjoy Tim this week. Get to know him. It, it's, and the reason I have him stand, normally we don't do that, but we're kind of like in a cow shoot here, you know, and so it's hard to, to meet everybody. But when you see who he is, you'll go find him and, and get to know Tim. He's such a blessing to our church because he's such a blessing to our seminary. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit as I teach, Lord, that the flock might be fed, that our hearts might be challenged, Lord. Lord, I pray for those who are here, we don't know hearts, but you do, that do not know you as Savior. Lord, I pray that the gospel would draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is a long chapter. We're just doing a narrative, so don't be afraid. We're not going to exposit each verse. But such an important narrative. Now, the chapter divisions are not inspired, but I see, I can tell why they took this large. And in every, in, in the harmony of the Gospels, every time they come to this section, there's a large section, a lot of verses. So you follow, and we'll see if we can catch the narrative as we go. Chapter 26. When Jesus had finished all these words, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. So, end of Tuesday, after two days, Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday, he's going to be arrested and crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of Caiaphas, high priest, or the high priest named Caiaphas, and they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. And they were saying, not during the festivities, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. Now that's very important, the narrative. So they think they'll take him afterwards, probably. Jesus is going to force their hand. The Lamb of God is going to be offered on Passover day. And so while Jesus is God, very God, he's 100% God, he's 100% human, he also lives in his humanness according to what's going on, and he is orchestrating some of these things. He is going to force their hand. Now, he also knows that one of his own is going to betray him. It's been, it's been prophesied in the Scripture. He knows it's Judas. You say, why would Jesus include Judas in the inner circle if he knew what he was? He was a thief. I think it just shows God's great compassion and mercy. His hand is extended to all who will receive him. We know it takes the power of the, of the Holy Spirit in a person's life before they can be saved to draw them, to wake them to their lost condition. But God's hand is always extended. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume. She poured on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. 
But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you bother the woman? For he has done a good deed to me. Now listen, this took place not now, but actually probably Friday or Saturday the week before, before his triumphal entry. Why does Matthew place it here? I think it's so we can get the kind of person that Judas is. We live in a day and age that some even portray Judas to have been just, you know, misunderstood or, no, he was wicked. He was evil. The Bible says in John, Satan entered into him. After Jesus gives him the, uh, the bread that he dipped to Judas, the Bible says Satan entered into him. He was well aware of his betrayal. But the Lord is, is, I think, through Matthew, is helping us understand what's going on. So he puts this story here because if you read in Luke 22, is Judas is the one that says this. Now, all the disciples, they were probably thinking the same thing. Yeah, that's a lot of money because it was a lot of money. A year's wages was spent. But the Bible says there in Luke, Jesus confronted him, and I think this is what put Judas over the edge. All right, I'm going to betray him. Because after this, it says Judas begins to look for an opportunity to betray his master. Verse 14, then one of the 12 named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. From then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. Remember, they didn't want to do it in the public's eye. Now they had somebody on the inside, so they get him by himself, arrest him, do all this at light, night like they're going to do, under cover of darkness, and nobody's the wiser. Just kind of rub him out. The Jewish leaders were like the mafia. The Sadducees controlled the temple. They made all kinds of money off what was going on there, and he was in the way. So Judas now is complicit with the leadership in trying to find a quiet secret place. Verse 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now actually, if you get the rest of the story by the harmony in the Gospels in Luke chapter 22, the Lord takes the opportunity when probably Judas is out doing his deed of getting his 30 pieces of silver to say, listen, we need to prepare. And they say, where do you want to prepare? So it's not found here, but in Luke it says, go down to the square Find a man carrying a pot of water. That's unusual. Men don't carry the water. That's women's work. And so the Lord had arranged these things so that he could have his time of Passover and institute the new covenant with his disciples without being interrupted. He planned that way. And so he said, go find this guy and then prepare it there. So when Judas comes back, Peter and John are gone. Where'd he go? Well, you'll find out. Where are we going to have Passover? Because I think Judas thought, if I know where they're going to have Passover, it'll be quiet. We can take care of this thing. I'll have earned my money. Verse 20. Now when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12 disciples. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. This whole chapter is about betrayal. Jesus goes from teaching the crowds, healing, ministering, answering the questions of the scribes and the Pharisees, and then his disciples, and he's going to end up alone. 
much like the lamb that was, ha- was taken for Passover. It was taken into the family, it was inspected, it lived with the family, but it died alone. Jesus is going to die alone for our sins. So he says there's going to be a betrayer. Now the Bible says in John, because I've often wondered about I don't think Judas was there when he instituted the new covenant. He gave him, he allowed him to be the guest of honor. Now they're reclining around the table. And remember, they've had this argument, who's the greatest? Then Jesus washes their feet, and Peter says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And the Lord says, no, if I don't wash you, you're not part of me. Peter says, oh, 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 not my feet, everything, Lord, just give me. And so they're, they're having now the Passover feast, and Jesus makes Judas the guest of honor. See, John is next to Jesus. In his gospel, he just calls him the one who Jesus loved. He was so overwhelmed that Jesus loved him. John was sons of thunder, him and James. He's the guy that him and his brother, when somebody was preaching that wasn't part of their deal, they said, Lord, should we just call on fire? And the Lord says, no, 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 that's, that's not what we do. And Jesus, John was so overwhelmed that Jesus loved him, he just called himself the one that Jesus loved. And so he was right next to Jesus. And Peter says to John, which one is it? And John leans back to Jesus and like this and says, Lord, which one it is? And just quietly to John, Jesus says, the one whom I give the sop to. They would take bread and dip it and give it to the guest of honor. They would eat first. Judas has so many opportunities to repent. Maybe like some of you that have come to church over and over, you heard the gospel over and over and over. And you say, well, maybe another day. Maybe another time. I still have things to accomplish. And he takes it. And then he tells Judas, if you read John, go do what you need to do. The disciples thought maybe they're running out of food and he sent him out to get some more. They didn't know what the discussion was. Judas knew the Lord knew. And he left. And it says at that point, after he received that gift from the Lord of being the guest of honor, Satan entered into him. And so he leaves. Then the Lord institutes the new covenant. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. When he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. And every communion, I normally mention the fact that this cup in the traditional Passover was called the cup of blessing. It's amazing that our Savior, in light of the coming agony he's going to suffer and his death, calls this the cup of blessing. Now in the Old Testament, for instance, in the covenant that God made with the Jewish people, with Abraham, Abraham was instructed to kill some animals and then divide them. What was done in those days was then the parties that were in the covenant making this contract would pass between the animals that were, that were divided and basically saying, this will happen to us if we don't keep our promise. And so God comes down, it got very dark, I think it was probably awful scary for Abraham, and he came down as a light, a burning lantern, he passed between those covenants. He made an everlasting covenant with the Jewish people. You may look at your friends and think, I don't think my friend can get saved. 
Think about this. One day the whole nation is going to turn to Christ. You think your friend is more powerful than that? Listen, Jesus is not intimidated by any person. That's why we can be encouraged. Just share the gospel. Share the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. Not you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 6, he says, listen, we preach not ourselves, not about us. It's not about your power to be able to persuade or be a great apologist. Just share the gospel. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose the third day. And like we read in the Psalms today, he will remove their sin as far as the east is from the west. He'll bury it in the deepest sea. And here's the amazing part. God remembers it. No more. No more on your account. That's the gospel. And Jesus institutes this covenant. And then he is going to be the attorney to come back and make sure it's carried out because he's rising again from the dead. Now, the disciples don't get this right now. They're having Passover. I don't know if they even understood everything that was going on when he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. But he told them, I have so looked forward to spending this time with you. But verse 29, he says, but I say to you, I will not drink the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter says to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. It always makes me a little uncomfortable when you see a person come to Christ and they're so excited. They say, I am never going to fail the Lord. Hmm. You know what the mark of the believer is in 1 John 1, 9? Difference between believers and unbelievers, we don't cover our sin. We're confessing our sin. As believers, we're always confessing our sin, Right? What is the response in our heart when we find that God is always forgiving our sin? Greater love. So John writes in 1 John chapter 2, he says, little children, I don't know what these rights as you sin, right? But even if you do sin, remember, you have an advocate, you have an attorney. The one who paid for your sin stands before the Father and says, that one's mine. That sin is paid for. What a blessing. Now Paul wrote in Romans 6, is we don't go on sin that grace may abound, right? God forbid, how shall we that are, are, are set free from sin sin anymore, right? So what's the answer? We don't yield ourselves to sin. We may fall into sin. Sin may overtake us because we still have this flesh until we're made perfect. But the mark of the believer, and it's what keeps us humble before the Lord, because we're always confessing our sin. But Peter makes this huge statement. I will never deny you. These guys, they probably will. No, we won't either. We'll never deny them, even if it costs their life. So they come to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. 
Now, if you go to Israel, I hope you go to Israel if you haven't been there yet. It's, it's such, this is one of the most powerful places, I think. You can see the place where he gathered, and there's a cave there. And so I think that the, the disciples probably often went there so they could hang out. It's close to Jerusalem, or the city's just above your, the temple's just above you. And they were tired. They'd had long days, long journeys getting to Jerusalem, a lot of stress in the temple. So they probably just thought, okay, we'll do like we did before. We'll go to sleep. But he takes Peter, James, and John with him a little closer to where he's going. And he gives them instruction. Watch and pray. God gives us the same kind of instruction today. Maybe not the same circumstance. But Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but by everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And you know what we do? We just handle it ourselves. And James says, you have not because you ask not. Because somehow, even as believers, we're convinced we can bless ourselves better than God can bless us. Let me tell you what you're missing. God takes care of us so many times when we're just unaware. He is protecting, he's providing. But you miss out on the joy of knowing, whoa, that was God. This last week, one of our grads was just praying for a specific tool. He didn't have the money to buy it, but he needed it. Just praying, just praying. Happens to go to a company, and they're working on this company and his job, and he sees what he's looking for. So he goes to the, the manager there somehow, and he says, hey, uh, you guys using that? No. Well, could I buy it? Would you like to buy it? It's just been sitting there for years. He said, well, I don't know. I don't know if I can afford it. He said, let me get the boss. The boss comes out and he says, make it disappear. Now, you can be a Christian and if you're not praying about everything, you're not watching, you're not alert to what God is doing in your life, you'd miss the great worship of what just happened there. He's a pastor. I kind of step back and say, you know what? God moved that company to buy that tool 10 years ago because he knew that man was going to need to provide for his family. Now, is that joy or what? Is that joy? It could have happened the same anyway. Those giving would still give the blessing, but you miss out on the joy and the worship. I don't know how, except for by the Holy Spirit just told them, John got John 17, the high priestly prayer, Unless that was what they just prayed on the way down, that's possible. But the disciples missed out on one of the most powerful events the world has ever seen. Where the God-man, our Savior, wept and suffered so much. The Bible says in Luke, he sweat as it were great drops of blood. He was under such stress not thinking about the nails or the beatings he was going to receive. But he was looking at being separated from the Father. If you know Jesus Christ, you will never, ever experience that. Only lost people experience it when they die without Christ and go to hell. But Jesus endured that. And they missed it. Because they were sleeping He told them in verse 38, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here, keep watch with me. What are they watching for? 
The Lord knows the soldiers are coming. He knows that he's been betrayed. What's going on is Judas thinks, oh, I know where they're at now. This is going to be great. I'll just take them back to the house. Now, we believe that when Dr. Bookman takes the tour, and I'm sure Dr. Sigler does the same thing, you can go to the airspace where the Last Supper took place. And we think it was John Mark's mother's house. And John Mark was still a, a teenager then. And so Judas runs over to get the priests. He's going to come back. Guess what? They're gone. So if you read the whole narrative, John, John Mark's sleeping because it's late. He throws a sheet around himself, and he just follows behind. He's just going to kind of see what's going to happen. So what does Judas go? Well, I know that where they go to pray, so they must be down there. They take soldiers all the way down the Kidron Valley up the other side, and they come to Gethsemane. Verse 47. No, let's not go too fast. I don't want to skip too much. Verse 40. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So, you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Talk to believers about praying. We have prayer meeting. I'm not here to chastise you about you because I love prayer meeting. We have 20, 30, sometimes 50 people come, and it is the highlight of my week. Prayer warriors that come together. What a blessing. If you're not here, you're missing out. And I realize some of you have small groups, you have everything's gone, you can't all come. But I don't think that's the only problem. I think it's not a priority. How many times do you tell people, oh, I'll be praying for you, and you're not praying for them, you're just saying that because it's what Christians say. And the idea of spending a time in prayer, oh, such work. Well, I got things to do. Again, because we think we can operate without God's direction. And it's not that God's not going to take care of us, but we miss out on seeing the little things of God's direction in our life. And we might chastise the disciples and have in our mind that like Peter, we would never do that. But the problem starts here. They couldn't pray one hour. Yes, they were tired. He said, but they were tired. Of course they were tired. So was Jesus. But they didn't get the impact of the hour, what was going on. They didn't understand the danger that was present to their own lives. So they just went to sleep. Verse 45, he goes back and he prays again. And what's he praying? Father, be thy will, let this cup pass from me. What is that? When he takes the sin of the whole world upon himself, hell is going to come to Golgotha at 12 o'clock noon on Friday. And it's not Satan's wrath that's going to be poured out on Jesus. It's going to be the wrath of God, and God's going to turn his back on his only begotten son. And the weight of the world and the guilt and the sin that's weighing on Jesus is so much. And they're still sleeping. Verse 46, he says, come up, get up, let us be going. One of those, the one who betrays me is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the 12, came up, accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief police and elders, priests and elders of the people. Now he was betraying him, gave them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. 
Immediately, Jesus went to Jesus, said, Hail, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Look at verse 50. Another opportunity for Judas to repent. Jesus says, Friend, do what, you have, do what you've come for. Isn't that amazing? The other gospel says, Do you betray me with a kiss? John MacArthur goes off on this point in his commentary talking about how often do we do the same thing. We talk nice about Jesus and we go our own way and do our own thing and take care of ourselves. Now what happens at that point in John, we, for some reason Peter hasn't listed here, but I think it's a precious thing. Jesus, knowing what Roman soldiers are, makes them reiterate their orders. And he said, who are you here to arrest? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says his name, God, I am, he. History says that it could, uh, the, the, the group of soldiers there, 600 soldiers, they're all knocked backward to the ground. Now, I don't know what the guys in the back thought. Guys in the front knew what happened. But they're soldiers. They get back up. And he reiterates the challenge. Now, who did you say you were here to arrest? Now, you, you just see the dullness of man. Don't say the same thing, right? Jesus of Nazareth. And the Bible says there in John 18 that he says, I am he. You're here to arrest me. That's fine. So you can let these go. And he said that, it says in John so the, sailing, the saying might be fulfilled of all the Father gave him, he didn't lose one. What's the saying there? There's doctrine there. God's sovereignty and keeping us saved is not something written on stone someplace. Well, you're in, so do whatever you want. Mm-mm. Our king is alive and active, and he works in our life. And when the accuser goes to accuse us, your attorney is there. And the Bible says, they all forsook him and fled. But in the meantime, Peter getting courage because Jesus just knocked him down, right? 600, so that's kind of an advantage. If I get in trouble here, Lord, just say your name again. He takes a sword and takes a swing at Malchus, the high priest servant, but misses and gets his ear. And Jesus says, put your sword away, Peter. The cup that my father has given me, I'm going to drink it. He was going on purpose to the cross. Jesus went to the cross on purpose. And he touches Malchus' ear and heals him. And the disciples flee. Everybody leaves him. He's alone. They take him to an illegal court because in a capital, condition, capital case, you can't meet at cover of darkness. You have to have time so somebody can run all throughout Israel to find if there are any eyewitnesses before they put somebody to death. And there's a certain amount of hours that's given for that. They're not waiting for that because they've determined he deserves to die. And so they question him over and over. They bring false witnesses in. And Jesus says nothing, fulfilling Isaiah 53. As a sheep before shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth until the high priest finally asked him the question, verse 64, Verse 63, Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I adjure, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. 
Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered him, He deserves death. And they turned him over to the temple guard, and they blindfold Jesus, and they spit on him. They put the crown of thorns on him. They take turns, smash him in the face with their fists and say, oh, if you're a prophet, prophesy which one's going to hit you. Listen, Jesus endured that for me. He endured that for you. Even the lamb given for sacrifice was not beaten. It was a quick one slice and the blood ran out, but not our Savior. The Bible prophesied in Isaiah 53 that he was forsaken of man and we esteemed him forsaken of God and we turned our faces from him. Now Peter was outside the court and a little servant girl came and said, you too were with Jesus the Galilean, but he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you're talking about. When he'd gone out to the, the gateway, another servant saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. A little later, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, surely you two are one of them. Even the way you talk gives you away. Why? He talked, he had the accent of a Galilean. Verse 75, Peter remembered the word Jesus had said. And it's even more than that. In Luke 22 Verse 61 and 62, Peter's in the outer court, the Lord's in the inner court. And the Bible says there that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word that the Lord had said and went out and wept bitterly. Now we come to the next chapter and you have two different kinds of remorse over sin. Peter went out and wept. And I'm, great, I'm sure he suffered greatly until the Lord rose from the dead. And there was an excitement. And then after the excitement wore off, all the disciples, not just Peter, thought, well, we all lied. We made big statements and then we all betrayed him. Not just Judas, we all betrayed him. We forsook him and fled. How can the Lord, how can the Lord use us? And that's where you have the scene at the Sea of Galilee where Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, do you know? Peter wasn't going to make the same mistake again like a lot of you. You follow the Lord very closely and then sin came into your life. And you said, well, I'm just not going to get that close again because it's too bad. It just feels too bad. Well, listen, friend, it's not about you. And he asked him again, Peter, do you love me? He asked him a third time, Peter, you love me? And Peter's grieved because he feels like somehow there's just a spotlight being put up. Why is the Lord punishing me? He already knows what I did. He saw me. Feed my lambs. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know what my heart is. Oh, God is so gracious to us. So gracious. Listen, none of us ever get over 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, what does that mean? Agree with God about what you did. Agree with God about the condition of your heart. Agree with God about your sin. 
Just agree with God. You don't have to say, I'm sorry. He knows you're sorry. Just say, God, that was sin. That thought, that action, that neglect, that was sin. Now, here's the amazing thing. God is faithful and just. How come he's just? Because he paid for it on the cross. To forgive your sin, here's the powerful part about grace. And he, not you, he doesn't say, okay, you forget now, don't do it again, and go straighten yourself out, go some rehab or something. He said, he's faithful and just, forgive your sin, and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's the one that cleanses. One of the most powerful verses, so it ought to be so precious to every one of us. Revelation 1.5. The king of the princes of all the earth takes his blood and washes us from our sin in his own blood. You see, our salvation is personal. He sends the Holy Spirit after you, each one, personally. And today, if you're without Christ, he's knocking on the door of your heart but he won't force the door. Will you let him in? The one that was forsaken by all went willingly to the cross, gave his life, and took it up again that he might give life to all who believe. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Lord Jesus, what a passage. We might have good intentions, but we know we all would have forsook you and fled. And yet we're so thankful to hear about how you restore because of your wonderful grace all the disciples and Peter to ministry and you give them the Holy Spirit and then with boldness they preach with boldness they didn't have before. Lord, that's what we want. Lord, give us that desire in our heart. Lord, convict us of sin left unconfessed. Lord, convict us about being a people that just lives life as observers. Lord, we want to be involved. We want to see our friends come to Christ. We want to see a great revival. But it starts with our own heart. Well, we're so thankful for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.